0: Nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into Marvelous light. Yes, we were a people chosen, selected, placed into covenant relationship with the living God. We were brought out of darkness and into marvelous light. And we are to proclaim His excellencies forever. Forever. That's what I hope we'll see today. God is good. So let me just throw this thing out for you. Now, I'm sure that you all are excited that next Sunday the Pats are playing the Seahawks. And, of course, the Pats are going to beat the Seahawks. is the more exciting part of that. Now, imagine that a friend of yours had tickets. Good seats. <laughs> Amen. And that that friend of yours said, I have two extra tickets. Would you like to come? Here's the tickets. Just meet me down there. I'll meet you at the seats. Would that be a good deal? You'd be pretty stoked. All right. So the question is, how do you get there? What's the best way? It's an 830 game. What's the best way to get there? I I guess you drive. I mean, you know, you're not flying there. You you might be able to take a bus. I don't think there's a train that runs down there. Oh, is there a train? Oh, that's nice. But you might decide to take a car. So, you see how often I get to go to these games, hey? (laughs) All right, so um, so you take a, a, you decide you're going to take your car down there. Now, what you need is to have a license. Right? Because you have to be able to drive. Now, what does the license represent? Well, the license represents the fact that you have or are aware of, and somebody's checked it out, and you are aware of the rules of the road. You know the laws and the regulations um, for driving in our state and in our country. You know, so that you're not driving on the wrong side of the road or, you know, that you're. Um, paying attention to speed limits or, or if you're in Massachusetts that you sometimes don't pay attention to any of the rules. Um, <laughs> that was, that's what I sort of found. The rules are a little different. Anyway, um, but you, th- this license says that you have the ability to drive on the road. You understand the laws and regulations. Now, think of that. Today, our message is, has some similarities to this. I want you to think of your vehicle as grace. That's a little odd, but work with me here. The vehicle is grace and the rules of the road that allow you to safely get to where you need to go is the law. The Mosaic Covenant. We have an Abrahamic Covenant, which is a covenant of grace and faith, and we have a Mosaic Covenant, which is a covenant of obedience to the law. We need those rules for the road. Can you imagine the pandemonium that would ensue if everyone on the highway just did whatever they wanted? In general, we have people that follow the rules. Maybe they go a little faster than they should, but we also have enforcement of those rules, don't we? I don't know about you, but I have been pulled over since I've been in the state of Massachusetts. So, the rules of the road are there for our good and for the good of the common people. And they're there for our personal good. The law was given for good and for the good of the people. The law was given so that God's people would know how to interact with Him. It gave them, as we're going to see, a means of being in relationship with God. And God is all about relationship with His people. With respect to the Mosaic Covenant being a vehicle of grace, it is that vehicle is the abrahamic covenant. And God says something about that abrahamic covenant through the apostle Paul. In Galatians 3:17, he says that Do we have that slide? In Galatians 3:17, he says that the old that the law that comes out does not supersede, it doesn't negate in any way a covenant that was previously ratified being the Abrahamic covenant. So the law that comes 430 years after the Abrahamic covenant, the covenant of grace, does not in any way negate the covenant of grace. Does that make sense? So in a sense... You have a car and you have the laws of the road. These two things are meant to operate together. The laws of the road don't make a whole lot of sense if there's no one on that road. But to be on that road, we have to have a vehicle and that vehicle's grace. So keep that in mind as we talk through this sermon today. Now I hope that you'll have three points or three things that you'll walk away with today. The first is that God created man to be in relationship with him. And in fact, more specifically, God created man to be in covenant relationship with him. Covenant, the second point, covenant law without covenant grace brings death. So the law without grace brings death. The third thing is that as God's chosen people living in grace, we are to proclaim His excellent greatness forever. As God's people in covenant relationship with Him we are to proclaim His greatness forever. So let's look at how this flows. And for us to do that, we're actually going to have to start a good ways back. The whole Bible, the whole story of the Bible, from Genesis all the way through Revelation, is about God Redeeming a people for Himself. Buying them out of sin and into freedom. Taking them out of darkness and into marvelous light. Taking them from being far off to being brought near. To a people who had no relationship with God and rebellion with God being a people who are in unity with God, in close relationship with God, in a loving relationship with God. That story starts all the way back in Adam. As we spoke a few weeks ago, man was created in the image of the triune God. What does that mean? That means in the Trinity, they share... Father, Son, Holy Spirit, share perfect love between one another. And also, they are in perfect submission. But that's important to understand. Because we were created in that image. The image of God. Our relationships were created to be like that. We are created to be in relationship with God So upwards, think of it that way maybe. Upwards, we're created to be in relationship with God in a relationship that is defined by perfect love. Perfect love of the Father directed towards us, filling us, overflowing us, and given back to Him. And in perfect submission. That is a God who... Has authority over all things, the creator of all things, who has a loving plan for us and says, This is what I want you to do. And we are called to be lovingly submitted to that in trust and in faith that He is for us. So that's our relationship that we're to have with God. And that is the the relationship up towards God. But that relationship is to be external also, as we see as Eve is created, that we're to be in loving relationships with one another in the family of God, to love one another. And we find in the New Testament these, these ideas of being mutually submitted to one another, to love one another, to be humble towards one another. So this divine attributes or these divine Trinitarian relationships is what we're all called to be in and to live in. It's how we're to live with God and how we're to live with one another. And that's from the very beginning that we were created in that way. But we know that the fall changed that. We talked about again that the last thing you get before the fall is that man stood, man and woman, Adam and Eve stood before one another and really before God naked and unashamed. And that quickly changes with the fall because shame, sin brings shame and, and separation so that they hide from God. And they hide from one another in a real sense. They have to be clothed. That relationship is broken and God has to judge His people. Adam and Eve. And we find in chapter 3 of Genesis that that's what goes on. And then, in the midst of judgment though, He gives hope. He gives hope. He gives hope by saying, there's one coming. There's someone coming. And serpent, he's going to crush your head. You're going to bruise his heel, but he's going to crush your head. It's our first thought in the Bible, it's the first indication of Christ coming. But he does something else. At the end of chapter 3, God clothes Adam and Eve, he covers their sin. And how does he do that? He does it with the skins of animals. It says God gives them the skins of animals for clothing. Well, for that to happen, something died. Blood was shed for man's sin to be covered. God made a way for His people. God lovingly and graciously made a way for His people even though they had rebelled against Him so that they could be in relationship with Him. Let's fast forward a little bit over to Noah. It gets worse and worse and worse. Sin becomes stronger and stronger. God decides He's going to destroy the earth with a flood. All of mankind except for one man. And God graciously extends His favor to this one man and his family. His name is Noah. Now at the end of chapter 6, the beginning of chapter 7, in Genesis, do you have the slide for that? Good. It tells us that God, looked, that God said to Noah, that after he had done all that he had commanded, go into the ark and all of your household. For I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. When does God's declaration of Noah's righteousness occur? It's after he's acted in faith. So Noah hears God's word. And responds to it in faith. And God declares that He's righteous in that generation. Fast forward again. Let's look at Abraham. In Abraham, in chapter 12 of Genesis, we find right before that, in the end of 11, that that God has chosen Abraham out of the city of Ur. Of the Chaldeans why because God is gracious and merciful what would he have been doing in the land of the Chaldeans he would have been worshiping the gods of the Chaldeans it wasn't because Abraham was just a great guy it was because God showed him his favor God was gracious and merciful. He chose Abraham, called him out and said, "If you go into this land, do we have that slide? Five points. If you go into this land, that I'm going to show you here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you that land. I will. I will give you that land." I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who dishonor you. And in you, Abraham, All the nations of the earth will be blessed. That's it. This is an I will. That's all there is. God will do this. Abraham, whatever you do, I will do this thing. I have chosen you, I will cause this to occur. I will do these things, I will make you a great nation. And more and more comes as as his relationship with God grows. I will make your descendants more than the sands of the sea. I will make your descendants. Look into the heavens, Abram, and see. I will make your descendants more than the stars of the sky. Can you count them? No, of course you can't. That will be like your descendants. More than the stars of the sea. And why am I doing this? Because I'm gracious and I'm merciful. And I'm kind and I'm... And I want to see my name proclaimed in all of the world. And that's what God is about here. He's doing this thing. Now, when you move a little farther forward in this, you find out that Abraham has done exactly what God he said. God spoke these words, Abraham believed, and he did what God said. He went into this land. Now, lots of stuff goes on. But the point I want to bring out is by the time you get to chapter 15, Abraham's an old man, and he says, God, I don't have an heir. And that's when God says, go outside, look at the stars, more than the star of the heaven. That's what I'm going to give to you. Don't worry about it. I've got your descendants taken care of. Trust me. And it says that Abraham believed. Next slide. Abraham believed, and it's counted is righteousness now i want you to see this for just a second see what it says up here Um, it's counted to him as righteousness that's not really straight out of the hebrew or the greek in fact there's no as so it would be counted to him righteousness But, but the english doesn't sound correct there so they put this word as in but as is a simile It's a like or as, right? It's similar. Something that's similar to. So Abraham, your faith is similar to righteousness. That isn't in there. That doesn't exist. There's no as. It's not like or as. It's equals. Your faith is counted righteousness. That's what he says to him. And Paul's going to pick that up. The Apostle Paul will pick that up later. Say, guys, remember that covenant that Abraham had? Remember it. Because the law doesn't supersede it. It is still, it is still faith that's counted righteousness. You won't be righteous through the law. You can't. After he calls him out and shows him this, though, there's a covenant made. And in that covenant, something occurs, right? This Abrahamic covenant. God says, okay, Abraham, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to make a covenant with you because you believed me, because you've been faithful. We're going to go into covenant relationship. Here's what's going to happen. I want you to take a heifer. I want you to split it in half. Head to tail. Split it in half. Split it out. Lay it out. One on either side. Leave a path in between. Then take a a female goat, and I want you to split it in half, lay it out. I want you to take a ram, split it in half, lay it out. I want you to take a turtle dove, split it in half, lay it out. I want you to take a pigeon, split it, lay it out. So you can see this is a bloody mess, and kind of like these seats on either side, and you've got this space in between. And what this is, this is an old-style covenant that said, if I break any rule of this covenant, may this, these split animals, may this happen to me and my family. Pretty serious stuff. May me and my family, my wife, my children, may we be split from foot to the top of our head if I break covenant with you. Then God does something unimaginable. He puts Abram to sleep. He goes into this deep sleep. And while he's in this deep sleep, God alone walks between the animals. What does that mean? Who's responsible for this covenant then? God alone. The God who said, I will, I will, I will, I will do these things for you, God alone will make that happen. God alone will do these things. Yes, He'll use men to do it, but it is God who will hold Himself responsible for it. And should I break faith with you, Abram, ever? Be done to me. May I be split. May I be torn apart. I will see this done. That's the Abrahamic covenant. And it is a covenant of grace. It's not a covenant that says obedience, it's a covenant of grace. But it goes on, it doesn't stop there. Because while Abraham's asleep, he says, your descendants, Abraham, they're going, to be, they're going to go into Egypt and they're going to be enslaved for 400 years. But at the end of that slavery period, I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to bring them out. I'm going to show judgment on the country that they were slaves, enslaved in. I'm going to bring them out and they're going to go out with the riches of that nation. So let's fast forward now. Moses. You heard about him last week. So Moses comes in and what happens with Moses? Sure enough, God raises him up. He makes him a great, um, a great leader and brings his people out. And sure enough, even as he promises, he does bring them out with all the wealth and riches of Egypt. And he shows himself to be great. In In doing what he does in the Exodus, in those first 14 chapters where he brings plague after plague after plague into Egypt, do you know what he's doing? Systematically, God is defeating all the powers of the gods of Egypt. All their primary gods, God is defeating one after another after another after another. They cannot stand up to the living God, the God of Israel, Yahweh. That's what's going on there. Until you get to the very last one, Pharaoh himself is seen as a god. And yet Pharaoh is completely unable to protect his own son. And so when the angel of death comes to take the firstborn, of all those who don't have blood on their lentil, the blood of the lamb on their lentil, Pharaoh's child is one of those. His heir dies. The people of Israel go free. He sends them out. They leave with all the wealth of Egypt. They get to the Red Sea. Pharaoh's army, Pharaoh's heart changes, hardens it, God hardens it, and sends his army out after him. What happens? They get to the Red Sea. Moses parts the Red Sea through the power of God. The people of Israel go across on dry land. Pharaoh's army enters in. God closes it down on them. And Pharaoh, who was himself a god, is swallowed up into the sea. And he and his army are destroyed. Now this is an amazing thing. Because what's going to happen, just to give you a little insight onto this, the people of God are going to run around in the desert for 40 years because they rebel against God. Right? Got that. You knew that was coming. What happens in that 40 years? Word of who God is goes all over the land all over Mesopotamia, because Egypt is the end of a trading point. And that trading point goes all the way north, all up into the the regions north of Israel and through the promised land. And so by the time Israel comes in, the people are in dread fear when they finally get to the promised land of whoever this Israel is, and in particular, Israel's God. God will make His name. Glorified. That's what he's doing in that period. So, let's stop for a second. We'll look at that verse that Ethan brought up. So now we've, we've come out of the land of Egypt. We've gone right up to the edge. We're at Mount Sinai, the mountain of God. And Moses stops and God gives him a word for the people. He says... <clears throat> the Lord called to him, Moses, out of the mountain, saying, Thus shall you say to the house of Jacob and tell the people of Israel, You yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians, how I bore you up on the wings of eagle and brought you to Myself. Now therefore, if you will indeed obey My voice and keep My covenants, you shall be My treasure possession among all the peoples." For all the earth is Mine, and you shall be to Me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. After these words are spoken, the people reply, all the Lord has spoken, we will do. And God begins in the next chapters to give His law. it's important to understand there's a difference here. The commandments are if you, then I will. Very clearly. You obey, I will bless. You disobey, I will curse. The Abrahamic covenant was I will, I will, I will. Whatever you do, Abraham, I will do these things. To the Israelites, if you obey, you will receive my blessing. If you disobey, you'll fall under my curse. And we'll talk a little bit about that in a minute. It's a dramatically different. It's important for us also to understand, though, that the law of the Lord is perfect. The law of the Lord is good and perfect. Don't forget that. Sometimes we as as Christians today look at the law and go, oh, the law. No, the law of the Lord is perfect. It is good. Remember what Christ said? Not one piece of this law, not one dot, not one iota, not one cross T, nothing of the law goes away. It's all still there. So what we have to do is reconcile these two things. What we have to understand is that the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament just happen to be the same God. It isn't like one's an angry old man and the other's your sweet grandpa. It's not two separate gods. It's the same God. And that's important. That's really important. We'll get to why. The big difference of why for us today is Jesus. But at the time, the people were still living under that covenant. And that was, the Mosaic covenant was their means to be in relationship. So I want to take a quick look at that. Now, we said earlier, obviously that one's a covenant of grace and faith, that's Abraham, and that the other is a covenant of law. It is about obedience. And so in chapter 19, the people agree to go into covenant. It's a formal treaty. It's a formal covenant that God has. It's a covenant with their ancestral God. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And it is a very formal treaty. In this treaty, God lays out, here's who I am. And He starts this in chapter 20. He says, I am the God who brought you out of Egypt, who brought you out of slavery. This is why you should listen to me. This is why I have the right to be in a covenant relationship with you. I am the God who created all things. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. I am the God who brought you out of slavery. I have the right to enter into covenant with you Kind of like a high king. I have the right to do this. And then he lays out the law. And in chapters 20, verses 1 through 17, you start seeing the law get laid out. The first five laws are God-related. The first one is, you shall have no gods before me, or besides me. You could translate that word, besides me. You shall have no God beside me. I am your God alone, Israel. I will have no other gods along with me to be worshipped. Me, me alone. It's huge. It's exactly opposite of what all the other nations of the world were doing. God is setting apart a people, like he said in chapter 19, like we read in 1 Peter 2.9. God is setting apart a people. He's making a covenant people. He's making a holy people, a kingdom of priests. That's what God's doing here. And he says to them, I'm calling you out. So those first ten are all God-directed laws. The second ten are all people-directed laws, just like it was with Abraham. Relationship with God, relationship with people, that's what God is about. Relationship with God, how do we be in right relationship with God, and how do we be in right relationship with people? And as you go through the rest of Exodus, then the book of Leviticus, parts of Numbers and Deuteronomy, you're going to see these laws laid out for the people. How to interact with God, how to interact with people, so that they can be in a relation. God is shaping a people, forming them for himself, setting them apart, so they will be like no other nation in the world. Why? So that they will proclaim his excellent greatness among the nations. So that the peoples of the world will say, there is no one like you, Israel, in wisdom, in knowledge, in understanding. Your laws are perfect. Therefore, the gods you serve must also be great and wise and perfect. You'll see that come out in Deuteronomy. That's the intent behind the laws. God is very intentional here. What follows, though, and we don't really see it in Exodus, you're going to pick it up in Leviticus, um, is the blessings and the curses. So you have the laws. This is a typical treaty format. Here's why I'm allowed to be in relation. Here's what this relation looks like. Okay, and you'll see Adam, or Moses will, in this, take blood and throw blood on the altar, and then take blood and throw it, you know, sprinkle it on the people. So now blood has been, been shed, and this, covenant is sealed by blood and then in leviticus you see there's blessings and curses comes up in leviticus 26 deuteronomy 28 i want you to go home this week and i want you to read deuteronomy 28 that's your homework assignment this is a very practical assignment because the whole rest of everything we do that's old testament will make sense if you read that the mosaic law is all about blessing and curses Obey me, be blessed. Disobey me and die. Fall under the curses. You really need to understand that. Judges, when you hear about judges next week, it will make complete sense to you after reading Deuteronomy 28. Kings, Chronicles, complete sense once you read it. The prophets, complete sense once you understand the blessings and the curses. In that you'll find 14 verses of blessing, and 43 bl- verses of curses for disobeying God. He did some serious stuff. The blessings are great. You're going to have lots of your, uh, bless your cities. You'll have bountiful crops. You're, you won't have any failures in birthing. Uh, your animals won't have any problems in birthing. Your families will be prosperous. You'll have lots of children. You'll be wildly successful. All the nations of the world will look to you. That's the blessing side. The curses. Droughts, crop failures, disease, plagues. It gets worse and worse as it goes down. No peace on your borders. You'll lose every battle. I will confuse everything you will do. I will frustrate every action you try to attempt. Your cities will be under siege. It'll be so bad that you will eat your own children. That's what it says. And you will die and be left in the fields for the birds and the dogs to eat. And any of you that happen to be left, you'll go into exile. That's the curses. It is some serious stuff. And as you roll through the Old Testament following this, that's what happens. Again and again and again. And yet, God is always gracious. God is always kind. Read the prophets and the prophets say it again. But, I will save a remnant. I will hold forth a remnant. I will be gracious to a few so that he can start this over again. God is always being merciful. His right under, these, under, this, under the law, under this contract, is to destroy them all. But he doesn't. He always leaves a remnant to start over again because God is gracious and merciful and kind. And he never does it with just the first sin. He gives them time and time and time to go do these things. We are a people called to be in covenant relationship with God. And I want you to understand that this law, as we said earlier, doesn't stop with Jesus. Or it doesn't stop with with when Jesus comes. In fact, Jesus is under the law also. It doesn't stop until, I mean, well, it doesn't stop at all, but... It isn't met until He's crucified. So He lives. Jesus comes and He has to live under this law. Right? And He does it perfectly. He lives perfectly under the law. He meets every requirement. He fulfills it. The only person in all of history to have ever done so. And that was intentional. He had to. Because God sent Him to be a sacrifice on our behalf. God sent him to be the one who would pay for the curses. In the Mosaic Law, here's how this worked. Unintentional sin was covered by sacrifice of animals. Unintentional sin met death, or intentional sin met death. If you sinned intentionally, if you willingly rebelled against God's word and did something, it met with death. And there's like seven or eight different kinds of death, but it met with death. That was it. There is, for intentional sin is no sacrifice. That's a scary thing. The Old Testament law is tough. It's tough. You worshiped another god? Die. You committed adultery? Die. You beat your neighbor up and killed him? Uninte- you, know, you killed your neighbor? Die. I mean, it's just one thing after another. All these high-handed sins, what they call high-handed, presumptuous sins. Intentional sin. He was just met with death. Only unintentional sin could be forgiven. So let's fast forward to Christ. He lives this law, He lives it perfectly. He goes to the cross. And God takes the sin, all of ours, of all believers, and places it on His Son. What does that mean? according to Mosaic law. It means he is now under the curse. He who is innocent now bears the curse. All of it. For all believers, he bears the curse. Remember all those things I said that are rotten and terrible? He bears the weight of every one of those. And God does what he promises to do. He destroys him completely. He annihilates his son. He kills his son. He wipes him out. He destroys him because that's what the curse demands. God is loving, but God is just. It must be done. Sin must be paid for. Rebellion must be paid for. That's the rule of the Mosaic law. But there's grace. Because God raises him from the dead. He doesn't stay dead. God raises him from the dead. And it was part of the plan the whole time for Him, the perfect Son of God, to be our sacrifice, to take on our sin, to pay for it, and pay for it completely, fully, like we sang about today. Fully. That's a good thing. That's a beautiful thing. So, you place your faith in Jesus Christ. What do you get? You get your curse removed because Christ already paid for it, and you get amazingly Christ's righteousness imparted to you. God looks at you and says, Well done! You've done the law perfectly! You haven't done the law perfectly. You're a miserable failure. Deserves to die. All of us do. But God, in His grace, takes what was His son's and gives it to you and to me. He says, "Come, come and dwell in My house. Come into My love. You who, from before the foundations of the earth, were adopted, known, and loved." Because this is who I am. I am gracious and merciful in all of my ways. That's what we live under. But you need to understand something. I mean, that, that in and of itself is a reason to praise and glorify God forever. Is it not? Yes, it is. But you need to understand something. There are those who are not yet proclaiming Christ as their Lord and Savior. Christ will come again. God will come again. And He's not coming as a Savior and a Lamb. He is coming as a judge. He will judge the quick and the dead, separating the goat from the Lamb. From those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ to those who have not, He separates them. And why? Because He's come for judgment. Because the law has not ended. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament are the same God. And the Mosaic Covenant still stands. It has been fulfilled for us as believers in Jesus Christ. But there are those who stand under judgment. Under the curses of the law. And if you Get nothing else out of this. You have a reason to proclaim Christ. Because it is a terrifying thing to fall under the judgment of God. You have a reason to go forth today and every day and proclaim Christ. We are a people set apart. A people called. A kingdom of priests to make known the excellent greatness of our God. Forever. The early church was called to that. And if you go into Revelation 5, you'll see it there. Revelation 5 tells us that the elders fall before the throne and they cry out, Worthy are you to take the scroll, to open its seals, for you were slain and by your blood you ransomed people for God. From every tribe and every language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests to our God. And they shall reign on earth. That kingdom of priests, what are they going to do forever? Praise God. Be before the throne. Read Revelation 7. They're singing in they all their different languages. Before the throne of God. Proclaiming His excellent greatness. And that's is what we will do forever. And I want to encourage you today start if you don't have if you haven't in the past, start today proclaiming the excellent greatness of God. Amen. If I can have the band come up. I want to leave you with a couple of thoughts here. Which covenant are you living in? That's a crazy question. Of course, you're living under the new the new covenant, the covenant of grace in Christ, right? But are you functionally living there? Are you functionally living in grace? Or are you functionally living under the law? You might ask, how would I know? Well, let me give you a couple of questions to ask yourself. Do you ever wonder if God's mad at you? Because you didn't read your Bible today, you forgot to pray this week, because you didn't come to church on Sunday. Do you ever wonder if God's mad at you? That's the law speaking. Are you waiting for the proverbial shoe to drop because you did something that would probably displease God? Are you living there? Because that's the law. Do you wonder if you're good enough for God to love you? In the dark hours of the night when you wake up, are you worried about that? Do you ever wonder? Am I good enough for God to love me? No, you're not. That's the law. You're not good enough. That's the whole point. That's why Christ had to come. That's why there's grace and there's mercy to give you what you didn't deserve. Do you proclaim the excellent mercies of God when you're called, like who called you out of darkness and into marvelous light? Or do you live in fear of God's judgment? If you answered yes to any of those, if at any of those points you were saying, yeah, that's me, that's the law speaking. That is not Christ in us. God looks upon you with love. Does he discipline us when, when we fail to do things? Yes, God does discipline us. We have consequences for our actions. But in the bigger, greater picture, God's love is extended to you once you placed your faith in Jesus Christ, it is love that is extended to you that God calls you into. So this week, think about that. Think about it. Along with reading the blessings and the curses, think about it. Are you living under the law? Were you living under new life in Jesus Christ? A covenant of grace and mercy. Take a few minutes, just a minute now, and, and I want to pray about that. If you would like to know more about that, if you feel like you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, feel free to come up after the service. I'd love to talk to you, I'd love to explain it to you. If you're dealing with living under the law and you you realize you are, let's talk, let's pray. Take a minute now, close your eyes, and just ask God to reveal anything like that.